This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's Tuesday the 20th of June and we're less than a week into the transfer window being open for Premier League clubs. I'm John Rimmer, your host, and I'm joined by Sean Bradbury. How are we, Sean? Very well, mate, yeah. Yeah, all good. Um, go to glass, though, in about 24 hours' time, so that's kind of all I can think about. I'll probably throw a few references to this pod, but yeah, all good otherwise. Yeah, you can tell us all about it, Theo. You're at Old Trafford last night, England's biggest fan. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as biggest fan, but we already know what you think of Just National Cup. The, uh, the white and red. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Proposing lots and lots of stories about England today, which is great. So we will... We will talk Trent. We will talk Trent. I promise you, Theo, we'll get there. But we'll start with talking a little bit about transfers. Not a lot has happened in truth since um, since we last podded. Um, but um, Liverpool are, are taking a watching brief on, on a number of players playing in the Euros, the under-21 Euros uh, that's going on right now. Sorry, that starts this week. Um, obviously, they've got one across the line, um, Sean. Does it feel like that they're in a good position right now? I mean, some people, I think immediately are feeling impatient and whilst that's understandable people want the deals done quickly and, and Liverpool f- feels like against their rivals have a lot of ground to make up and you want them to move fast you want them to get these fans across the line also is there a little bit of unrealistic expectations around this time of year yeah I think so I think there's kind of two elements to all this isn't it there's the idea of correcting mistakes from last summer, mm. um, where you know, well, we all know that though. We, we've 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 discussed that on countless pods ever since. But like, things didn't go to plan. I don't think on the training pitch or or in the the kind of back rooms and and on on the recruitment side of things either. And you know, do Liverpool have a lot to do this summer remaining? Yes, obviously to correct those mistakes. Is there still disappointment that they didn't land Bellingham? You know, clearly that that's going to be the case. And when you compound that with not getting Chiuameni and then not getting Bellingham, yeah. there's a lot to do. But yeah, I mean, I, the first thing that springs to my mind with regards to that is, as you've as you've said, Liverpool have got McAllister done, which was a good bit of opportunism, you know, exploiting the release clause. We've reported ourselves, and we that there was there was interest from elsewhere in him. But look around, who else has done a decent deal? Who else has done a deal? Like I, I can't think really of any significant high level transfer activity yet from any of Liverpool's rivals. I mean, we're just looking at Brighton. They're the only ones you count as a big rival. They've done a couple. But done a couple. One of the big Milner. I think you know, there's, there's a lot brewing is they're like, Rice is going to go somewhere. Chelsea are getting, you know, half a billion pounds from Saudi Arabia to, to come into the, the transfer. Kovacic <laughs> looks like he's close to City. To City. Yeah, yeah, true. But, you know, I, I say that Liverpool have got the man who became their priority target in quite quickly. And and there's other factors. I mean, obviously, Justin Jess there mentioned Saudi Arabia, but I think a lot of deals or a lot of agents and clubs would have been thinking, okay, like, you know, such and such a deal is progressing. But then now it looks like, if you, if I was an agent, I'd get on the phone to my client straight away and go, well, do you want to stay in the Premier League or in Europe? Or if there was an offer on the table from Saudi Arabia, from one of the clubs that the PIF have, have bought, I'm sure that's going to be a factor that, that kind of, it's slowing things down a touch. And again, as we've said in, in several pieces, Gorsley, Dory, Theo have reported on, there's the fact that four, if not five, if you count Mickey van der Ven, who there's a lot of a lot of talk about, at least four of Liverpool's actual targets are all about to play in the in the under-21 Euros, aren't they? So I think in terms of more things having not been done yet, I don't think there's a concern. I think it, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because this is a classic case for me if you judge this window at the end of the window, have Liverpool learned from the mistakes and they started to put the clear deficiencies of last season right. Obviously, we all hope that that's the case. But then, you know, there was this clock statement, wasn't it, about 
wanting things done by by preseason. And but a little bit of that started, hasn't it? You know, the fact that McAllister is through the door already and will be there on day one of preseason is is huge. And hopefully, there still is time for at least one name to follow him. But I think there will have to be a little bit more patience. But how often does that sort of thing happen, Theo? I mean, like Pop talks about wanting players in for preseason training, and Liverpool have, have managed to do that in recent seasons with the likes of Canate. But that's when they were signing one or two. If you're signing three or four, perhaps more. It's very rare, is it, that you get all those players in for July 8th. Um, you know, you consider that those players might have international tournaments, which obviously several of Liverpool's targets do. They might be going on holiday with their families. It might just not be the best time. There might be other, you know, I think people forget like the, the human element to this. Is that it might be officials from other clubs also on holiday right now. So it, these are, the, I suppose, the things that might hold these these deals up. But yeah, it's not. It's not common, is it, for for a club to have loads of deals over the line by July eighth and and ready to go? No, it's not. Um, like when Liverpool have had the deals done early, it's when there's only been one or two deals that they're working on. Last year, it's not even an exception. They got three done by June, and they were happy with that. That was their business. And then there was still that shock there, going, "What? You're not bringing in a midfielder?" People still wanted more and more and more. Whereas if you look to the earlier windows, even one where they only brought in a couple of kids and they brought in a couple of keepers. The keepers didn't come in until after the season had started when Alisson got injured. Yeah. Uh, Elliot and Vandenberg, well, Vandenberg was early. Elliot was like August, wasn't he? Because it was just before they were playing Napoli in Edinburgh, was it? Somewhere like that. Before that, you think 18, 19, Fabinho done just after Champions League final. Great. Cater was done the year earlier. They started pre-season with Elliot, Alisson. Still yeah. Danny Ward in goal or yeah. virtually in goal for one of those games. Shakiri would have been... Don't forget, Carrier started the first yeah, game. Yeah, Carrier started. Shakiri would have been, what, after the World Cup? Is that the timing right? Because I had to wait for him to come back to do the release clause. Yeah, before that, Oxlade-Chamberlain was deadline day. Yeah. Was the day 16, 17, Genie and Adam wasn't exactly early. So when Liverpool had to do multiple deals, then it does take this little bit longer. And when you say about um, under-21's Euros, or if you wanted them early, you had to have it done by last week, pretty much. This tournament starts tomorrow. You are not getting anything done now before that starts. Uh, realistically, the players they're looking at, they're going to still be involved in this tournament until start of July, quarterfinals. Maybe not go a bit further. I think Netherlands is the one that they're in a tougher group. They might go out early if there's a shock, but realistically, they're all getting to the knockout stages. And then you're in July, the final of that tournament is the day Liverpool report back for pre-season. They're not going to have these signings in for July the eighth, but then that's not a bad thing. The season doesn't start until another month after that. Yeah, you've got a couple of friendlies, but they're still at the summer breaks. They're still at these matches here. Two weeks holiday. Um, maybe they shouldn't do what Nunes did last year and give up on that holiday to just go in straight in. Go and enjoy your break. Make sure you don't have any knocks. Yeah. Get fresh. But then these sorts of players, they're younger players who haven't played in the Premier League before anyway. They're for the future. Alexis McAllister, he comes in for Liverpool. He's going straight into that start at 11. Whichever they sign out of these four midfielders, if it's one of these four, they're not going to be starting at Stamford Bridge on the opening day of the season. You'd imagine everyone's fit, Fabinho, Henderson or Thiago, and then McAllister. Mm-hmm. You can make a claim for Jones or Elliot, but Klopp's track record is usually easing these players in. It's a long-term project. So there's no reason to be right, and that's without even looking at the, all these other clubs that haven't signed anyone yet either. Uh, just having one in the door is a quality addition is a step forward compared to so many other teams at the moment. There's a couple of things I want to pick up on there. I mean, first of all, Sean, there's, there's this feeling, isn't there, that Liverpool are still deciding on who they want. And I think in terms of like their pecking order, I'm pretty sure there's 
that has all been made. They're happy with where they're at with that. I think the decision comes on with who they can negotiate with, how much for, yeah. how much weight, what money they're asking for, when they can get them in. There's all these other little things, isn't there, that, that yeah, it's yeah. a play. And it might explain why, you know, let, let's say it's like a Vega who seems to have a release clause of around 34 million. And they'll probably know that they can trigger that whenever they like. But if they trigger that, does that mean they can't get a Taram? Well, I'm sure Liverpool would like to explore the op opportunity to buy others. So it's not a case, is it, now of watching the Euros and seeing who, who's the best performer. It's probably the the other side of things with negotiations, isn't it, this whole bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the narrative from the club wasn't for months, really. It's been, in terms of looking ahead to summer transfers, it's been that there's a lot of plate spinning, isn't it? That's the phrase, of course, he's used a few times when he's reporting it. But yeah, I think a lot of those variables are, have been decided, haven't they? Like, one would have been where, where the Liverpool finish, you know, first and foremost, the... Uh, what kind of football can they offer? Is it Champions League? Is it Europa? Well, we obviously know what that is and how much money is going to come into the coffers based on which competition they're in. But yeah, I, I, I think I think you're right. I think a lot a lot of that is fixed. And then we were told as well that there was there was more on the shortlist than normal because those shortlists kind of were, were, were multiple, weren't they? And they branched off in various directions uh, based on what, what would have happened. But when you look at individual situations with the players they're being linked to as well, I think there were just there's just a few things that are left to fall into place, aren't there? I mean, take um, Gravenberch as an example. The quotes that we've reported on overnight that came out, I think, was he speaking ahead of the, the international tournament? He was saying like, "I want to be a buy, preferably I want to be a buyer next summer, but next next season." But the main thing is I'm playing football. Yeah. So, but that, that's a situation that his situation hasn't been resolved, and obviously that's he's a player we know Liverpool wants, but. Is he is he first choice? Is he second choice? It, it's these little things that we don't know. But I, I agree. I think they'll have everything lined up in the background as, as much as they can do. But it's just waiting for the last couple of bits to, to fall into place. Like another example was um, there's a report today. I think Miguel Delaney wrote it about Barella, yeah. and obviously all all the noises that Newcastle are really pushing for him. But he put in there a little detail which I hadn't heard or considered before. And he said, you know, Liverpool may still be at the table, um, but. Kevin Sharam could be their backup if they don't get Barella for whatever reason. So, you know, that it's it's another thing that, that could be at play. And I think he said something like, um, Inter are after like eighty million for Barella, but that that doesn't seem feasible, I don't think, for Liverpool to, to throw around this summer. You might get that out of Newcastle. So if if they play hardball for, you know, several weeks to come, Liverpool maybe go for Chiram. Something yeah. like that could happen. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That, that's it, isn't it? I think if you read between the lines of every one of those players, and sorry to interrupt, but, no. you know, Gra Gravenberch, I think, by and give the, the green light that we're going to sell him, or, or he gives the green light, yeah, I definitely want to leave. You see Liverpool move. Yeah. Um, Taram is one that perhaps needs to just have a little look around to see whether they can get any other bids. Uh, Vega, the, he's got that release close. I, I think I think if Liverpool really wanted Vega, they would have moved for him. But I get the feeling that maybe... He's the youngest on the list, isn't he? Or he's, yeah. he's the rawest. Yeah. 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 He, he feels the most unproven, doesn't he? And perhaps a, a, he's a more technical player. And I think I think if he was the third of the three, then it might work. But it, because he might be the second, you know, and we don't know whether they can end up getting a third, then, then you can understand a bit of caution. Um, and then Barella. I think Liverpool would, would love to sign Barella. Mm. But the numbers involved in that, if it's 18 million, like you say, then Liverpool would step away. But perhaps, and we saw this, didn't we, with um, Diaz. Perhaps so, if they get, yeah, if they get a whiff of like, there's a chance this deal could be done for yeah. 45, 50. 
and his wages aren't 300 a week or 200 a week, they're 150 a week or 100 a week, maybe you'd see Liverpool then get involved. Because um, I still fancy Liverpool, I don't know about you too, but I still fancy Liverpool to see off a Newcastle if it if it is beyond money. It depends on this, because that's the only concern I have with the Barella one. It's the words or the sounds all season long have been, he's got all the contract with Inter, he's more likely to want to stay at Inter, he doesn't want to leave Italy. Yeah, yeah, so he's like, it's like a Stephen Gerrard for Inter Milan, isn't he? He's not going to want to leave. And then it's all of a sudden, oh, Newcastle are there, they want to make you the marquee signing, they are probably going to give you the highest wage yeah. in their squad, whereas you wouldn't be that at Liverpool. It's whether you are putting the football first. Yeah. But even then, Newcastle are in the Champions League, it's that long-term project. Um, it's one where if Newcastle hadn't been in these talks, I don't think any of us would have expected Liverpool to move for Barella because you'd have just thought that's a big fee that he's going to cost. The same as they couldn't afford a Bellingham or these other big money targets like a Declan Rice, a Caicedo, you'd expect them to look elsewhere. And it's also one where well, Klopp loves him, Linders loves him because they've said those stops in books and interviews and stuff. That's the only reason we're going, oh, maybe they'll move for him in the first place. Or should bring him Diaz, that was one that was like caught by surprise, wasn't it? No. Um, one transfer, it's a bit of an underwhelming one to compare it to, but for me, it's like Costas Simicas. When you think they've got so many options there, like they had talks with Jabal Lewis, didn't yeah, they, sure. Norwich, and then they were weighing up all the options. They're looking at uh, Lloyd Kelly, yeah. was it Sergio Reg? I don't know. Yeah, so that, that was four options there. They'd looked at Kelly before, and I think he'd turned them down the first time to go to Bournemouth. So then they were just seeing what the fees were with all the clubs, what their wage demands were when it turned out that Lewis was too much that's when the Simicast talk seemed to accelerate but then the club have always said well Simicast we always thought was a better deal anyway so it seems like well for these options when you can't really do any of them right now if they're in the under 21's Euros yeah you might be keeping your eye on a Barella but you're still holding those talks seeing what the fees are seeing what the wage demands are like they'll have their list of priorities if we can't get one we'll go for the next one the next one the next one but you still have the talks with all of them to see what is actually going to open up and things can change. Like Liverpool with Allison, for example, they thought he was going to be priced out of their range, yeah. so they weren't going to get in. They'd have to stick with who they had. And then all of a sudden, that became available. So it is just spinning these plates, as we keep saying. People always forget that, don't they, about the transfer window, that things do change. And, and I always use this analogy the last few times I've done a podcast, but I always think it's like a housing market that someone might yeah, say, I want sense. 500 grand for my house. Um, and then, you know... The, the bidder says, I can only offer 400 and they go, no, absolutely not. And then they ring up the estate agent a month later and say, tell you what, I'll take that 400 because no one wants a 500. I'm not selling my house. I don't have a 500,000 pound house. But the, the point stands is that, um, you know, I think people think everything's so black and white in the transfer market. And, yeah. And that, you know, for example, Alisson, Liverpool were always doing that deal, but when in fact Liverpool wanted him, they moved away. And then Real Madrid had a lock, they got Couture and then things fell into place. So, yeah, Barella is one that I think would be interesting to keep an eye on because we know Klopp admires him. Think about it as well, just to extend your analysis, especially this market. I know I joked about it before, but when like a Saudi buyer could come in and Kuzumpia, yeah, potentially like it could really change things, yeah. can't it? And like, you know, break a chain or, or just give players something different to think about. Depends yeah. entirely on the players. Like a Ruben Neves is sort of player you'd expect to be going to make that next step to a Champions League club. Like he's been linked with Barcelona all season long. And when most of these players go into Saudi with free transfers, and then you have, that's a 50 million buy on, yeah. or 47 million buy on the table. Yeah. Uh, that changes everything. Like there were talks that uh, Bellingham going for 115 million with add-ons. There was a relief there that he's not broken the market the way Neymar did yeah. a few years ago, even though that benefited Liverpool yeah. with the knock-on effect on Coutinho. But if you're then getting 50 million for a Neves from a Saudi, 
when he's out of contract in a year's time. And this is a Saudi Arabia that is going to want to show that it's not just wages. They've got the, the money to spend, transfer fees. Yeah. And they're looking to make these statements ahead of the World Cup bid for 2030. Probably looking at them, one of them wanting to have a go at the, the FIFA Club World Cup in 2025 and show that we are this big nation. It's a bit different to when MLS or China went in and got these big money buys. So you're just waiting for If there's a big fee that goes in there, it changes the market again completely. Well, I think, I think the market is still, and especially in midfield, which makes life trickier for Liverpool. I think there's still a, a Chelsea, Enzo, Fernandes, hangover yeah. going on where, where clubs have seen that. And I think that certainly played out with Bellingham and, and is playing out now with Rice. Um, and I'll come to Rice in a sec, Sean, and I want to ask you about that. But you look at it and think Liverpool probably, if they look at Taram, they should probably look at Fernandes and say, well, Taram's what, 22? Fernandes was 22, I'm right to say. Or, or 21. So around the same age, Nice probably think, well, yeah, if he goes for 100, we want 50. Yeah. And, and it makes Liverpool's life more difficult. And these, and I'm sure that stance will change if Taram says, no, I want to leave and, and, and puts a bit of pressure on them and then no, no other buyers coming off of that much money. But until such a time, Liverpool have got to sort of just keep keep informed and, and, and hold the nerve, don't they? Definitely. And like Mason Mount's another one, isn't it, where that's, obviously, you know, it's from afar. We don't know the ins and outs of it, but like seems to be developing into a bit of a saga. I mean, like... United haven't got that tied down yet, have they? It's, it's, it's a difficult one. That's what I was going to come to next. And, and Theo, I didn't, didn't want to ask you, we'll, we'll talk England and China. <laughs> make you feel better. But, but I want to come to you and talk about that because um, I think we discussed it in last week's pod. But yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, although I, I think there's almost some jealousy among Liverpool fans for seeing Arsenal go for Rice, for example. Um, I, I don't know whether there's be the same feeling around Mounts, but I, I certainly think you'd have looked at Mount as a potential target and him going to United, people might be a little bit annoyed with that. But you look at those two clubs and West Ham has rejected two bits now and I think Arsenal probably will get that done, but it'll drag a little bit. Yeah, Mount is dragging and could drag for a good while yet and could drag even longer if Chelsea get the money they want from Saudi Arabia for some of the other players they're selling. Um, you know, Liverpool... Some fans are frustrated that Liverpool haven't done more, but they're actually in a really good position, aren't they? Uh, Compared to some of their, their rivals who I know finished higher, but yeah, they need work. De- definitely, and like not just like, with, the, with the timing of the window, but like, like in terms of like Alexis is done and there's there's a lot more kind of of the window to go and other clubs are struggling, as we said. But like, I think with, with Rice, you know, don't get me wrong, I think, I think Rice is like a generational talent and like the rare example of a midfielder who can do pretty much everything, genuinely really rating, but... 100 million. I mean, we were saying this just in the office before, like, okay, Arsenal have finished high. They're obviously back in Champions League, all that type of thing. They've had a, a good season despite, you know, missing out on the title. But it, that surely is going to eat up most of their budget. And the beauty of what Liverpool have done so far is, you know, York Schmacker now, you would imagine, has got a hell of a lot of money still to play with because of what they were able to do for, for McAllister. So, you know, like, there's just, yeah, I, I, I totally understand the frustration, like we've said so far, but I think Liverpool almost have a bit of an advantage going forward now, whereas, like, you know, even with United, you know, United will probably spend a fair bit, won't they? But if Mount, if the price for Mount starts pushing towards not far off double what Liverpool would pay for McAllister, again, that ties United's hands a little bit, doesn't it? So any little way where Liverpool can extract an advantage on the teams that, let's be honest, they've got to catch up with next season because they finished behind all this lot, didn't they, that last turn, you know, is, uh, is really useful. Yeah. I wouldn't even write off Mount staying at Chelsea at this point. If they get all that Saudi money, then they don't need to sell him as much. But it's also off the wage bill. Yeah. And when the big stickling point has been, they're not willing to meet his wage demands. 
but they want to keep him. If you get rid of Kulabali, uh, Abamyang, Ziyech, um, Kante's gone, hasn't he? There's like so many players there who are on big money. If they get rid of them, then suddenly they can offer Mount what he wants. And deep down, we, we all have that inkling that Mount probably wants to stay. It's, oh, he's almost admitted that, hasn't he? Yeah. But then wages is a big thing with Liverpool and Arsenal as well. Like we were saying in the office earlier, Arsenal are at the start of their journey. They have not won anything yet. They got into the Champions League and that's the start of, oh, you get this little bit of a bonus. You get that initial little uh, boost to your bonuses at the end of the season. It's Liverpool's wage bill has just risen and risen because they won the Champions League. They won the Premier League. They've gone in the Champions League year after year, winning the domestic cups. They've got uh, Salah on the, the highest contract in their history when he's scoring goals and assisting goals week in, week out, which is what he was doing. He's on over 400k a week, if you believe the reports. But it's not just him and then everyone else is on peanuts. They've all had steady rises they go along. So just because Arsenal could go, here's 100 million for Rice now, realistically, are they going to be able to do that in three, four years' time if they follow that same pattern? Probably not. But then you think well, Liverpool will balance out again when they come to that time. Because it's up and down. Exactly. Because exactly. they've got some... some like, they've got Firmino out the door, that's one high earner. So it just does, oh, get these few wages off, get any younger players in. Like if they get any of these under-21s we're talking about, they're coming in on that lower wage. Yeah. You get them into the Champions League, you get that little rise. You get them into winning the Premier League or Champions League, big rise again. It's just uh, it's what Liverpool and Arsenal have to do is these ups and downs to compete with the Man City. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'll play out there. I'd be quite jealous of seeing Arsenal sign Rice. I think he's a oh, yeah. fantastic player. But I do think Liverpool need to get themselves back into a position where they're signing up-and-coming talent. Um, albeit, I would argue that the times that they really taking the next step they've signed a player that everyone's competed for so Van Dijk um, Alisson you know the, these big signings that have really been the cornerstones of their success I, I think are, are players who you know everyone in the Premier League wanted Van Dijk at the time didn't mm-hmm. they uh, and, uh, and Liverpool won that race so it would have been nice to see Liverpool compete for a, a Rice or a Bellingham but um, but I think McAllister's a really clever signing and if they can get you know a, a Turan or someone like that in a grab and birth you can who can aspire to that level and um, they could be in a really good position. Um, Theo, we can get your symbol out, you can get your drone. Um, <laughs> a bit, or, well, what is it, Bugle? Do you fly? How, do you want which which one of those do you play in? The, oh, the, my, the, I don't play any. They're annoying, you know, they're I mean, in our ear all game long. You must be happy though, because England have, have got out there this week and they've been two giants, <laughs> two giants of European football, Malta, North Macedonia. Uh, I'll, I'll make the same joke I made in the office before and say that. How bad must West, East, and South <laughs> Macedonia be? I mean, um, yeah. I mean, where'd you start? I mean, it's brilliant. But but yeah, we'll, we'll start with Trent, um, who played in midfield for both games, made a really good impression. Um, again, I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it? Every single time England comes along, we end up having the same discussion about Trent, but then he plays a pass like he did last night and, and sort of reminds you of how good he could be in that role. Um are we overlooking one big solution that Liverpool have in their squad for midfield? That if they just went and bought a right back this summer, they can move Trent there full time and he'd be better than some of the guys that we've just discussed? He, he probably would be, but then you're also having to reshape the entire setup in itself because Liverpool's style is still big with the full backs and the midfielders aren't the creative outlet as such. They're the ones that make the dummy runs, they're the ones that just press and press and press. And you see Salah still get him on the ball loads. He still creates so much. Same for Trent Alexander-Arnold. 
like Henderson on that right-hand side, or if he's the right-hand side of the midfielder, he is the one who's doing the ugly work, getting the hands dirty so these two players can play. And it is something that's been lacking from the two England games. Like as much as we'll say that assist for Saka's second goal from Alexander-Arnold was superb and it was one of the best assists we'll see all season just gone, this season coming, whatever we count these games as. Uh, and his and goal. It, wasn't a bad finish either, it was a great finish as well, but then so was Trent against Malta. I think maybe he could do that a bit more if he was in the midfield role for England. Was it Cara who said, oh, if he was in that, he's getting double figures, goals and assists week in, week out. But he wasn't out wide crossing it in. And in the hybrid role we saw from him, the Liverpool for the final 10 weeks of the season, 10 games of the season, he was doing best of both. He was getting in the middle, he was doing the, the central through balls. As well. He's not going to get as far up the pitch. Well, he's not going to get as far up the pitch, but then he's still getting everything from him. He's covering so much more ground. You've still got the protection behind him. Liverpool attack with more players. They're not as conservative as in England. And we saw, saw some great assists from him during the final weeks of the season. We think of the chip through ball for Nunes against Leeds. And he has a couple when he's gotten behind the defence and he's done low crosses or his normal ones from out wide, like it was the free kick against Forrest for Salah. He's still being so influential. But we're seeing him in both positions, so he can be central. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Is it not a surprise though that the the Klopp hasn't even? I mean, we've never seen. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't ever remember Klopp just playing Trent as an out and out midfielder at any point. Yeah. Um, it's like one yeah. game wasn't it like Everton when they were going for the first Champions League final when he just played the kids yeah. I mean I, I I look at it and think isn't it slightly odd that the Klopp just doesn't seem to be even willing to try and there I mean he, he has looked so good there and I, 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 I was joking before but the, the opposition wasn't very good but it would be interesting I would love to see Trent in that position in a Premier League game or a run of Premier League games and just see how good he is and I know that you would sacrifice the, the the crosses from 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 out wide, but if instead you got goals from midfield, if you got more assists through the middle, would, would that not be would that not be okay for some for some games anyway? It could it just depends on the games and yeah. who they bring in. Like there was um, was it after the Brentford game last year when they were asking Klopp about the inverted position, and it said it depends what we do in the summer for where he plays next year. And initially, we all thought that would mean, oh, maybe there is a, an argument here for a full-time midfielder. But the fact that the club's stance since is they don't want a right-back, they don't even want a right-sided centre-back. It's like either they're being stubborn or that's just their decision. Yeah. Um, when they've had the argument before, when Southgate briefly played him in midfield against Andorra, is why would you play the best right-back in the world in midfield? So obviously, behind the scenes, they still value Trent as a right-back. He's just one of those naturally gifted players that could probably do a, a great job anywhere. I think you could put him as an actual number 10 or you could put him as your striker and still do it a great job if you're in some form because he's just one of those naturally gifted players that can do a bit of everything. And th- there are arguments for it, but then you'd have to go and get a right back who suits the system or you'd have to completely change your style. Like, would you do the the City or the uh, Arsenal proper approach and just have like a John Stones as like the inverted one? So he's not quite as dynamic as him in attacking, but he is just good on the ball, composed... And it's a bit more deceptive defensive to free up Trent. Uh, I think because it's been so successful for Liverpool over the past six, seven years with them getting so many assists, they don't really see a reason to tear it up completely. Like they've already made this compromise to get him in these double positions. They've had the players behind him to cover that extra ground. 
And we can't even write out the fact that if they get the midfielders they want, they could go back to the traditional 4-3-3 anyway and just get in trend, getting 20 assists from proper, proper right-back position. Are we overlooking Joe Gomez being the player that, I mean, Klopp's played him a right-back at times, hasn't he? Um, Bradley's like, the one to watch though, isn't he? Bradley, but, but, but if they get a left-sided centre-back, you would think that that might free up Joe Gomez to go right back and, and trying to, to go into there more often. Um, with this, I'm, I'm just all in. I agree with Theo. I think that the, the, the hybrid role is the one. And I, I don't think you can do it all season. But my, because, my worry, sorry to interrupt, but my worry with the hybrid role is someone works it out sooner rather than later. With, with that, though, I've heard that said a little bit about Liverpool's run last season. And okay, there were, there were a couple of shaky moments even when the wins were racking mm-hmm. up. And I thought Villa's played a very disciplined performance against mm-hmm. him. But, but th- th- this thing about working it out, my, my only counter argument to that would be Liverpool made it work for that run with without being able to make any changes or add any players to it. It was like, it was about, okay, we'll, we'll commit to this for a while. And I agree with what one of you guys said before. You do wonder, well, why did that not happen a little bit earlier last season when clearly there were problems? But if, if you've got the whole summer to work on it tactically and to add players who you think will be better in it, like, I, you know, just off the top of my head, thinking about that system, you've got Robertson, you've got, you've got a, a left back playing left side of the centre half, and that's a whole other question, isn't it? That's like that might well explain the Mickey Van der Ven links. Potentially, you've got Henderson, who seemed kind of undroppable almost in that attacking right sided number ten role. But I don't think he'll be in that much this season. He was great on honest. the left, by the way, for England. He did, yeah. Number there's assist, didn't he? So you know that's an interesting one. Uh, Fabinho, who had a bit of a shocker of a season, finally found form again, didn't he? Because I think that. That role next to Trent, it just totally simplified what he had to do. He had less ground to cover, less of the pitch was his responsibility. But, you know, even like the forward line chopped and changed, and it with like Jota coming back in and that, you know, Gakpo played mostly up top, but there was a game, I can't remember who it was against home now, where, where Gakpo played the midfield, didn't he? And with, with so much experimentation going on around Trent, like, I, I just think that that that, will, that that system will be even more dangerous next season and we'll have extra kind of hidden elements to it. Like the, the one I'm hugely excited about when I'm not saying a bomb Fabinho out, like, like Theo said before, like Fabinho, it's guaranteed that he starts the first, um, you know, Chelsea away and, and a lot of games next season, you know, he's not going to be, if he leaves Liverpool, he's going to be phased out, isn't he? I don't think he'll be, he'll be bombed out. But if you had a Kefren Shuram, say, or maybe even a Ryan Graben Birch in that position next to Trent, I, I thought it was loads of games in that run where, Okay, in terms of working out, obviously Trent's the danger, isn't he? And people were putting two men on on him at times. But the ball was being popped to Fabinho quickly and he had a lot of space and a lot of kind of, you know, people to aim for ahead of him. I think if you've got someone who can run and who can pass better than Fabinho, which someone like Chiram would would back themselves to do, I think that, that's, that's just one way in which that system can become even better and even more exciting. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. But again, as you lads have said, I don't think it'll be every game because... The problem with that system is who replaces Trent. Like, yeah. I think if you if you're having a solid three and then a two, and you're not asking that that kind of right sided inverted fullback to drop back into fullback, you could probably get Thiago to do it, but you couldn't get him to do it if it's like right they've got a goal kick, you're a right back now, and you know some massive striker drifts over to you or, or whatever and tries to win a header against you. So, yeah, I, I just think there's, there's there's so much to be excited about still within that system. There's lots of ways that that could be better and. That's your best use of Trent for me. And the key to it's Canate, isn't it? Because he's the the big centre back who's got the pace and he's a bit of everything. He's like one of those few players that can do yeah, it, do the lot, um, do the lot. So if he stays fit, then you feel stronger going into that formation. Like there are a few times where Liverpool getting caught out in behind, he wasn't quite in the right position. But that's when you're learning it as you go along. When he's had a full summer of preseason, that fits in. 
with Trent, like I was saying, I think part of the reason they went to this formation was not only to get the best out of him, but was to bail Fabinho out a little bit. Yeah. Because he couldn't cover that holding midfielder role by himself anymore. Whether his legs are gone, it was just a bit knackered. But see, that's why I, I, I disagree because I don't think he's ever done that midfield role on his own. He always had legs around him. And at his best, he had two of the best runners in Wijnaldum and Henderson or Milner around him. So that so, so then they didn't have the legs last season, did they? No, no, exactly. But but I wasn't surprised that Fabinho got better when Trent went next to him, um, because because of that. I think he was slightly better when Pesetic was played alongside him. But it, you know, I, I think you're right. I think he needs legs. Could could Pesetic be? Are we sleeping on him a bit? Could he be the one that steps in for Fabinho at times? Uh, Europa League, definitely. I don't think he's going to necessarily start as much as he did season just gone because. Well, unless he properly develops this summer and we've not seen him yet and he's going to come back like he's growing three inches he's all muscular but he's still a kid isn't he he's still a teenager um, he's had that glimpse of the talent there and I think it's probably going to be a year or two before we see him ready to start week in week out in the Premier League but by then Fabinho's wrong side of 30 and you're phasing him out and your replacement's already there but Domestic Cups, Europa League. <laughs> right, with the useful stuff here, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, I hit 30 last year, aren't I? I'm on this side as well. <laughs> but yeah, um, Besetic is getting the domestic cups. He's getting the European games. He'll get game time next year. You know, you both mentioned there something that we haven't discussed just yet, um, which I think could could massively factor into Liverpool's plans, and that is height. And it's it's a, and again a small detail that I think people shouldn't overlook. Sure, this summer in the Liverpool need they need tall players because oh, at times it's acceptable to to um to set pieces last season. But again, at their best, Van Dijk, Fabinho, those types of people would be quite dominant, wouldn't they? And they were quite a dominant team. So do you think that that is something that Liverpool will be will be planning? McAllister's not exactly yeah, no, right. I think he's he's the one you make the exception for. But yeah, I mean the profile of a lot of the guys we've been linked is that they're not only got the technical side of it, but they've got the physicality. And to be honest, this is why I'm all in on the on the Mickey van der Ven train in, in terms of just getting this left-sided centre-half. because You just love obscure Dutch players. Love, love them. But yeah, that's, that's also just watched that one video of him lagging the... Oh, yeah, what's that? Like, I mentioned this well, last time. The only video you've ever seen him. <laughs> but, but he's 6'4", and, and he's, you know... Uh, again, like, you know, I absolutely love Robbo, but th- that's the one, almost more than Trent, and the idea of working out, the, the one issue I have with the, with this new system that we've seen is is just what Robertson's asked to do in terms of his natural instincts. Do you have to curb them where, you know, he runs forward and becomes a winger and does what we've seen him do for several seasons to an exceptional level. But then it's the other side of it, isn't it? It's like, would teams start looking to go down that side where, you know, Robertson's tucked in a bit and obviously he's not he's not the tallest, is he? He's not the best in the air. So I think that's one I'll have a look at. But yes, yeah, certainly in the middle as well. That's, you know, that's, that's going to be a key part of recruitment, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we finish off, we'll just touch on Stephen Gerrard, who was on um, was on the coverage of the game yesterday and, and confirmed that he wasn't going to move to Saudi Arabia. Theo, I mean, I think that is probably the best decision he's made so far in his his managerial career. Is that is that unfair? For now, I wouldn't say that's unfair. If he went to Saudi Arabia, you're closing that door and going to Liverpool once and for all. I'd say he needs to get the next move right, but it needs to be in a league where wherever he achieves you go oh that's impressive you've done something we didn't necessarily think you were going to do like Rangers to an extent was that because Celtic had been so dominant and while it's still a, a two-team league he, he caught the eye with what they were doing in Europe and winning the league so emphatically yes Villa didn't go to plan he, he was a bit unlucky wasn't he with his transfers his signings but pretty much the most important one in Carlos got injured so he had to play Tyrone Mings 
who had essentially lost the dressing room for by strapping, stripping him of the captain's armband. And then it looks even worse for him when Emery comes in and just makes them this amazing team that get into Europe having looked like they're in the relegation battle at some point. But he needs to get it right where he goes next. Like it, We're almost at that point now where you think it would be a bit of a surprise if he ended up as Liverpool manager one day. Like Liverpool have had to decline to get to that point. Like He's not shown anything that he can be that exceptional manager. But you don't judge a manager after like, two stints. Like, I'm sure you could go through many of these legendary managers and they'll have done... Like not had the best spells early on. Like Rafa was in the low leagues in yeah, Spain, getting yeah, sacked left and right. Yeah. So it's just we need to see what offers there. He was linked with what Leicester. They've gone down the the Man City assistant route, which has served so many well over the years. Been linked with Leeds. Um, I think that would be a, a really good opportunity for him if that was actually an option. But at the same time, that's one that can blow up in your face, as so many managers have found out over the years. And it's just biding your time. He's he's probably not going to get a Premier League job. You'd say the best thing for him would be to go and do something in a Holland or a Germany or France. Like I'm seeing some managers where they've not had the best spell, go out, uh, learn a different game. They're away from the the English limelight, and then they can go and do something a bit impressive, get into Europe or whatever, and then they come back and they make a name for themselves. Granted, it's not always worked out, and the examples I'm thinking of now are like Steve McLaren and David Moyes. <laughs> going before that, you've got like a, Terry Venables, Bobby Robson, and this is going back years now, isn't it? But there are examples where it has been a success. Like, I think even Graham Potter, he went and did it abroad for yeah. so many years. Roy Hodgson, so, Malmo. Roy Hodgson. Can't argue with his CV, can they? No, no, no. And also, uh, goes strong methods of translation on. <laughs> you go with the, the overseas links as well with um, Gerard. that whatever fan base he ends up as, aren't going to just see him as Liverpool's Steven Gerrard. Like, as soon as it went wrong with Miller, Miller were going to turn on him in that sense. Whereas he goes to somewhere where there's not that closeness to it, that rivalry to it. He's free from that. It's his absolute hardest move, this one, isn't it? Because oh, yeah. He's had one failure, one success. People will always question the success. And, and I think, you know, you look at Villa and any job like that is so difficult. Because yeah. their fans' expectations are up here. The club's probably ability is around here. And, you know, you can you can fail pretty badly. Um, yeah. So it, it's tough now, isn't it? You know, with Leicester and Leeds, people would expect them to go straight back up, but it might not be as straightforward as that. So. It's really tricky. It's like, it's going to bring Lampard into the equation. Maybe Lampard and Gerrard are just destined to forever be kind of compared and like their situations but I think you're right like Lampard's had that he's kind of had that second failure now hasn't yeah, he? so yeah. it's like okay well what, if arguably third well certainly second and it's like what what does he do now yeah Gerard's got one more roll of the dice I think you either do what Theo said and go to a foreign league and kind of do something different and learn more you know soak all that up or the, the other one I think I think it's like almost like a Marco Silva style go and restore yourself in the championship, get a team yeah. playing the right way, bring them up. And then I think if you can re-establish a team in the Premier League, ideally get into Europe in some form, you know, it's not going to be the Champions League, is it? let's be honest, but Europa League or even the Conference League. Yeah. And and prove that you can compete on two fronts with one of them being the English top flight. Because that's, I think that's where he almost looked slightly ahead of the curve. Like, certainly that he needed at least one job between majors and Liverpool. And I think if he if he'd done well with Villa, and to be honest, if he'd done what, what Emery's done, as Theo said, and maintained that over the course of a couple of seasons, people would say, oh, there would have been a yeah. clamour. But like, at least at Rages, what impressed me most there was that, okay, they didn't they didn't win in Europe, but he proved that he could kind of compete on two fronts and, you know, he was beginning to get, get to grips with that. But I think that, that opportunity is going to be taken away from him, isn't it, for, for a few seasons, unless he was to go to, you know, somewhere like, like Xabi Alonso's done, do, do, the, do that type of move. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think drop down, come back up, play in the right way, and and take it from there. Yeah, I mean, Chevy Alonso had the the, the 
the advantage of the B team system, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I don't think still like Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard don't have that that advantage. But yeah, I think his next move is very important, and we'll watch very closely and see what he does. But that's your lot for us today, and we'll be back on Friday to discuss hopefully some more movements in the transfer market and maybe even Gerald's next move. See you then, Terrell. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.